0: This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. I like, I like the Easter season. It's uh, for, for church, for, for those of us who've known the Lord for a while. It, it's, it's, I, I enjoy Christmas. I enjoy the lights. I enjoy a lot of stuff. Easter is the one uh, holiday that the, the, the secular world really struggles with. It seems like they have a hard time hijacking Easter. They've hijacked Christmas. But when it comes to holiday figures, the Easter Bunny does not hold a candle to Santa. And the Easter Bunny might be one of the lamest figures out there, one notch above the tooth fairy. (laughs) And so it's real tough to focus on anything and because people don't traditionally give gifts and things for Easter. It's it's tougher to to get distracted and hijacked. I like that. So we're able to focus on Jesus. And I love that. Because Christianity, true Christianity, it's not just a religion. It's not just a duty. It's not a philosophy of life. It's a living relationship with the living Savior who's been raised from the dead. And that makes all the difference in the world. But our perception of him, how we see him, often determines how we respond to him. In other words, how do, you, how, do you see, how do you see, well, you just think about how you see some of the people in your life and, and how do you respond to them? And how do you see Jesus? How do you respond to him? A number of years ago in a little country church back up in the mountains of my home state in North Carolina, they were having a church service one Sunday morning in a one-room church house, white, white little church house, steeple, bell. And right in the middle of the service, the devil shows up right in the front. Well, the church panicked. Pastor and the choir took off the back. Church members took out the, the front door. Some jumped out the windows. I mean, the whole church is panicked. And sitting right there, there's only one person left, an old man sitting on the front row with his arms crossed just looking at the devil. The devil walked over to him and said, do you know who I am? He said, yep, you're the devil. The devil said, well, aren't you scared? Said, nope. Been married to your sister for 55 years. <laughs> your, per, your perception. Some of you, I hate the fact that some of you, that's the only thing you're going to remember for this whole message. <laughs> but your perception of other people determines how you respond to them in your relationship with them. So this morning I want to talk about this. I want to talk about dimensions of Jesus. The constructs that create the distinguishing characters about him. See, a lot of times people, when they perceive Jesus, they perceive him as being very um, stoic, very um, perfect, and really not engaged. Emotionally disconnected. He's perfect. He does everything right. He can't connect anywhere close to anyone emotionally. Some people, when they... Their perception of Jesus is that he is an ancient figure who is wonderful but really can't relate to our life today. The pressures, the things that we deal with, the things we deal with in life, he just can't relate too much in the past. Some people see Jesus differently, they see him as someone who's happy and and just passively loves everybody and everyone's okay and everything's wonderful. And they almost see Jesus as soft and harmless, weak. Now, obviously, I'm talking to people who have already received him as Savior. And if you had not received him and haven't seen him as Savior, that's the most important perspective you can ever have. And at the end of the service, we'll give you an opportunity if you've never done that. We'll give you an opportunity to receive him as your Savior. But the idea of, of who is Jesus, the different dimensions of Jesus, how do we see him? And the beautiful thing is, thank God we have the scriptures to show us who Jesus not only was, but who he is. Because in Hebrews 13:8, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Culture may change, but Jesus does not. Culture may, may determine what's going on and what we think is the reality around us, but Jesus does not change. And so the scriptures give us an important view of who he is. In fact, we can't get that anywhere else but the scriptures. So you begin to get that picture and you say, well, why is that important? Because if you're not careful, your preferences can determine your beliefs. A number of years ago, well, it wasn't too long ago, it was in the social media day. A writer and historian by the name of John Dixon wrote a book and he took an excerpt from the book and he put it on social media and he said he made all of his atheist friends angry. And it was about a 1929 interview that John Virek did with Albert Einstein. And this was an interview when John Virek began to ask Albert Einstein some questions. He said, had Christianity, he said to Albert Einstein, had Christianity influenced your life? And Einstein replied, yes. He said, I I was raised with the Talmud. I was raised, he said, I'm Jewish, but I also read the Gospels, he said, and I was fascinated by the figure of the Nazarene in the Gospels. Virach asked him a question then. He said, then, do you believe in the historical accuracy and existence of Jesus? And this is Einstein's response. I read it because Einstein and I don't necessarily think on the same line here, so I, I need to read, I, I but this is his actual quoted response. He said, do you accept the historical evidence of Jesus? was the question. Einstein's answer was unquestionably no one can read the gospels without feeling the actual presence of jesus his personality pulsates in every word no myth is filled with such life how different for instance is the impression which we receive from the account of legendary heroes of antiquity like theseus theseus he was a i think was a, a supposedly the ancient founder of athens theseus and other heroes of his type lack the authentic vitality of Jesus. Albert Einstein. But when he posted this excerpt, he had people tweeting in that the the whole thing was a fraud, that the interview had never taken place, even though it was posted in one of the most well-read magazines of the 20th century. And so John Dixon actually went to the archives, pulled up the article, took screenshots of it, and posted them online. And what he found is that the atheist did not want to believe that Einstein had said this thing. Their preferences had shaped their beliefs. We don't want our preferences to shape our beliefs. Thank God we have scriptures to shape our beliefs. And this morning I want to give you three dimensions of Jesus that we see on Palm Sunday, that we see on that day. Three different dimensions of him. Because when we understand him and see him, we know how to relate to him better because remember, Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. And Palm Sunday is the, is the Sunday we have tagged Palm Sunday. It's the Sunday, with, it's called the triumphal entry where Jesus was on a donkey and he enters Jerusalem and the, and the people were shouting Hosanna. They were praising God. They were throwing, putting their coats in the road. They were, they were raising palm branches. It was a pretty celebratory event. And we see Jesus on Palm Sunday, one of the dimensions of him, As he shows up as the divine king. Let's read it here. And as he, Jesus, went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Jesus, one dimension of Jesus is as the divine king. Jesus knew exactly who he was. And he rode into Jerusalem that day as the son of God, as the king of God's kingdom. And he did not stop the people from worshiping him. You notice Jesus never stopped people from worshiping him. Some would fall down and worship him. He never said, oh, no, no, don't do that. No, he allowed them to worship him because he knew exactly who he was. He was the king. And even though it made the Pharisees angry and they said, you need to stop, you need to tell your disciples to stop yelling this out. You're you're disturbing us. Listen, there are still Pharisees today that do not like it when you praise God. But Jesus said, I'm not gonna stop them because if I stop them, the stones themselves are gonna cry out. And what Jesus began to express was this. He expressed that he knew that he was part of a kingdom. He was king of a kingdom that was superior to anything on earth that even creation itself would respond to. Jesus, our dimension of Jesus is he's the divine king. But another dimension of Jesus that showed up in this very passage on this very same day is he is a man who felt deeply. Let's read the next passage. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it saying, If you had known even especially in this your day the things that make for your peace but now they are hidden from your eyes for the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus in the middle of this celebration when he comes to Jerusalem the Bible said he begins to weep over it. And he begins to weep because he realized that God's plan was for the peace of Jerusalem. It was never for the destruction of Jerusalem. It was for the peace. Things that would make for your peace. And that word peace doesn't just mean a calmness. It means well-being, wholeness, soundness, prosperity. It's a huge word. But it meant God had good things in store for Jerusalem. But Jerusalem had rejected Jesus. And even though God's plan was for things that would make peace, the Bible said that they missed Jesus said they missed the day of their visitation, that Jesus was right there, right there in their midst, right there walking among them, and they missed it. They could have responded, but they missed it. And Jesus wept over the fact that destruction would come to that city. You know, I, I know sometimes to hear people say, well, you know, the Lord just brought all this destruction and all this pain, all this stuff into my life. I don't know what Jesus you're talking about, but that's not the Jesus that I serve. The Jesus that I serve wept over destruction. He doesn't cause destruction. The Jesus that I serve said, I've come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. And when they knew that there was not, he knew, he knew by the spirit, he knew by the prophetic scriptures that destruction would come to Jerusalem. He wasn't stoic about it. He wasn't passive about it. He wept about it. Jesus, one dimension of him is he is a man who feels deeply. Another dimension that we see of Jesus is he is displeased when things are not right. Look what happened next. Same passage, same day. Then he, Jesus, went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it, saying to them, it is written, my house is a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. Jesus was someone who was displeased with what was not right. And what was not right was that God's house was not being used for the intent that God had intended it. And that actually the people, God's people were being stolen from and taken advantage of. You see, the money changers and, the, and those who bought and sold, they, it was sacrificial animals that they would buy and sell. So someone might bring their little goat to make a sacrifice. And the priest would look at the goat and go, hmm, that goat's not going to get it. You need to go over here and see the goat seller over here. And the goat seller would sell you a pre-approved clean goat at an exorbitant price. And they were ripping off God's people. And Jesus was not happy about it. And he took action. And he cleared the temple of what did not belong there. Now don't read more into this than what's written. Don't read it said he he broke people's legs and arms. It never said he did that. He said he drove out what did not belong. And when what did not belong was cleaned out, Jesus had restored a sense of reverence and respect for God's house the way it was intended to be. Because God's house was to be a place where people could connect with God not get ripped off. He said, well, Alan, y'all sell stuff in the cafe. Yeah, but we don't sell it to you. We don't sell you a sandwich for 100 bucks. At least I don't think we do. (laughs) But if it makes you feel better, all the proceeds go to missions anyway. So it's not the same thing. They were ripping people off, and it made Jesus unhappy. So what we see in Jesus is someone who can be pleased, but someone also who can be displeased. He wasn't pleased with what was going on. You say, well, what do these dimensions mean for me? I mean, this was an old story. What do they they mean in my life? Listen, the dimensions of Jesus that are revealed in this passage impact our lives today. For one, when we understand that he can be displeased, we begin to focus on those things in our life that are pleasing to him. This past week, and I appreciate Clayton, I appreciate Derek and, and Billy and Joy who gave me a break And while at home, it was a staycation. Whoever came up with that idea is not right. (laughs) Staying at home, how many of you know staying at home is not a staycation, it's a work time. (laughs) And Joy had expressed a desire to have the attic cleaned out. (sighs) And so when she was away, I cleaned the attic. I didn't clean the attic because I wanted to. I cleaned the attic because I knew it would actually make my wife happy. And uh, I hauled more books out of that. Dear Lord, why why do books just multiply if you put them in a box and set them in the attic? And I think they have baby books and they just grow and more books happen. But I did something because I, I wanted to please her. You know, we need to begin to focus on What are the things that please the Lord in our life? I'm prepared for the silence, so just bear with me just for a second. Because the Bible says that we are the temple of God. Look what Paul wrote to church in Corinthians. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Well, there's a lot in that, isn't there? We are the temple of God. And so it's up to us then to begin to glorify God in our body and in our spirit, which belong to him. Now, that's an interesting concept, the idea that you're not your own. I know a lot of people kind of chafe at that. You're like, no, oh, no, Alan, I'm a self-made man. Well, actually, Well, I don't know if that's a great phrase that you want to use, because you're a God-made man. Whatever you've taken, the gifts and abilities that he's given you and you've taken developed, you're to be commended for that, but you would have nothing if you were born in North Korea. God chose you to be born here in this time and place, you owe him that. He is your creator. Young boy built a a boat one time, beautiful sailing boat. He made it himself out of wood. He was a little gifted little little guy and he made it from wood, took it on the lake, it flowed him in, he was sailing, it. lost control of it and it it drifted off, got caught in the current and drifted off down the river and he lost it. Two weeks later, he's walking through his hometown and in the toy store, he looks in the window there and there's his boat for sale. He goes in and he tells the owner, he said, that's my boat, I made that boat. And the owner said, son, your name's not anywhere on there. We found this boat, we restored it, you're welcome to buy it. He goes home and empties out his piggyback, borrows money from his parents and his siblings, comes back with the money and he buys his boat back. And when he walks out, he holds that boat to his chest and he he holds it, he said, you are twice mine. I I made you and I bought you back. Guys, let me just tell you something, we are twice his. He made us and he bought us back. We belong to him, we're his. So knowing that we belong to him, we wanna do those things that are pleasing in his sight. When Jesus cleansed the temple, he gave us a pattern of now we need to, we're God's temple. Now we need to cleanse the things in us that do not belong. Now immediately when we begin to think about that, the the idea of sexual sins show up. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness. Listen guys, we're living in a world that is positively inundated with sexual stuff. And the Bible said, clean it out. So I'm waiting for the Lord to clean it out. He's waiting on you to clean it out. You clean the temple. You might be thinking to yourself, well, that's good, Alan, because I don't have any of those problems. (laughs) Well, you're not off the hook yet. Because the Bible said, cleanse ourselves of the body and spirit. What about the unforgiveness? The bitterness? The jealousy? The anger? You fill in the blanks. And I'm not pointing fingers at you. All of us have areas that we could clean out. I was prepared for this. I never got any amens on the first service. I'm not expecting any now. Aren't you glad I'm back? So, but as we look at this, remember, we're not doing this because we're afraid of punishment. We're doing this out of love and respect for the one who bought us, for the one who paid for us, for the one who cleansed us, for the one who's given us the ability to have a relationship with him. If I came into your house, if you invited me and I... I showed up on a Saturday, had my running shoes on. Not that I run, but they're comfortable. And um, I walk in your house, and I'm tracking something on, your, on your, your floor. I'm like, I don't know. I stepped in something. I don't know what it was. And I just keep walking. And I go into your den and sit on your couch, put my feet on your area rug. Then I bring out my burger that I brought with me. And I start eating this Whataburger that's just dripping with grease and mustard and ketchup. And I'm eating, and it's dripping on your couch, but I don't have a napkin. So I just take my hands and wipe them on your couch. Hey, don't get angry at me, God. This is a a hypothetical situation. I'm not, some of you clean freaks are already going nuts right now. And then I take the paper up and I finish and I throw it on the floor and I say, do you have a kitchen knife? I need to get whatever this is, is off my, out of the treads of my shoes before I leave here. I, no one's going to jump, run, get me a kitchen knife so I can clean my shoes of whatever's on them. And I don't know, maybe you wouldn't even, some of you would have not have let me get two steps in the door before you'd have said, no, 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 we like our house clean. You leave that stuff out there. You take your shoes off. I want to ask for a show of hands but I do know this, ain't none of you inviting me back because I did not show respect for you and your house. I believe that God deserves more respect, that we're his house and we want to keep it clean as we can. So thank you. Those people that just applauded were paid to do that ahead of time. So thank you. If we can displease him, we can please him. Second thing is our dimension of Jesus so we can relate to him as someone who cares and understands. Someone who is made like us, who's felt pain and experienced difficulty. Let's look at this passage here. Therefore, it's necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he's able to help us when we're being tested. You see, Jesus is still someone who feels deeply and still someone who has compassion for his people, still cares. There's a a wonderful story that came out during the pandemic of a lady by the name of Mary Daniel. Mary's from Jacksonville, Florida and her husband Steve had had Alzheimer's for seven years and had been put into a, a senior care facility. But because of the pandemic, she hadn't seen Steve in 114 days. Every night before the pandemic hit, Mary would go to this facility and she would get Steve ready for bed and put him to bed. Had Alzheimer's, but she did it every night. She was so faithful. But 114 days, she was separated from Steve and it was really bothering her. Mary said something I thought was very interesting. She said, you know, we isolate these senior care citizens, these senior citizens because we're trying to protect them. She said, and isolation's killing them. She said, we need to be able, I said, need to be able to touch them, especially the ones with dementia. We need to be able to touch them. They need to be able to feel our love. It, it, it really wears on them. She was desperate to get into CST, but she couldn't do it. Until finally the corporate office called Mary and said, Mary, this is the corporate office of the the care facility that Steve is in. We have a job for you. It can get you in the door. Are you willing to take it? And Mary Daniel accepted the job of being a dishwasher in the senior care facility because it gave her access to her husband, Steve. She was able to see him. And when when the news people talked to her, she said, I've only seen him three days and I can tell you his demeanor has changed, that he has felt my love. And she said, This is is a lady who took a job as a servant, as a dishwasher. She said, I feel so fortunate, so lucky, so grateful to be able to do this. So grateful to be able to see my husband. I want to be with him every day. I read that story to my wife, Joy, thinking that she would respond by going, Alan, I would so do that for you. (laughs) I swear, God, she looked at me and went, I don't know if I'd do that or not. So if you're driving home and someone said, I bet Joy would do that for Alan. No, the answer's no. No, she wouldn't. But here's a better answer. Somebody left a better place than a regular place to come down to take a servant's job and do a servant's role. And he did it because he loved us. He left heaven for us because he wanted to connect with us. you think Mary Daniel loves her husband, Steve. How much more does God love us? that he would send his son to die for us. So we never refer to him and never respond to him as someone who doesn't care. And the last dimension we see of Jesus is, he's still the king. He is still the divine king of kings. And he is worthy for us to worship him and praise him. And we will not remain silent. When John, the apostle John, saw a revelation on the Isle of Patmos, this is something he saw on that day. He said, I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. That's what they're gonna be doing around the throne. But guess what? We don't have to wait till we get to heaven to do that. We can worship him and acknowledge him as the divine King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And we can do that regardless of what other people say and regardless of who it disturbs. We're not worshiping them anyway, we're worshiping the king. In 1945, George Walton bought up a coin. It was a 1913 Liberty head nickel. In 45, he was an appraiser and he he had access to rare coins. He paid $3,700 for that coin in 1945. He told his family, this thing is worth a fortune. But when he died in 1962 and they took it to experts, it was appraised as being a fake and deemed absolutely worthless. So they took it home, they put it in a lockbox and it sat in the bottom of a closet for years. In 2003, Ryan Gibbons, who was George Walton's nephew, inherited the coin box and he got the coin and he just had, he, he said, I had a feeling that my uncle was right. And so there had been a display of the Liberty Head nickels, Only five of them were made. Four of them were found. And they offered a million dollars to who could ever produce the fifth. So Ryan Gibbons just took this coin that had been deemed a fake and he took it and he brought it in and the experts looked at it for days and, and called him back and said, after comparing it with the other Liberty Head nickels, he said, this thing is the real deal. And and 10 years later in 2013, Ryan Gibbons sold that Liberty Head Nickel for $3.1 million. It was determined by experts to be a fake, to be worthless. But then it was determined that they were wrong and new experts had determined it had great value. I think of that coin and all of us wish we had a coin like that in our closet. But the bottom line is this, we have a treasure that's worth so much more than that, that Liberty Head Nickel. Because we have a savior who has bought for us eternity, a relationship with God. We have his word, his spirit living in us. We have his goodness towards us. Thank God we we don't have to go to hell. We can spend an eternity in heaven with him. We have a treasure that's priceless. And 10,000 times, 10,000 years from now, you and I won't be talking about the millions of dollars on earth, but the priceless treasure we have because we belong to him. We have a king that even though the experts may not think he's the real deal, we know he's the real deal and we worship him. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment? It's heads your bow eyes are closed. I'm gonna ask that no one be leaving. We'll be out of here in just a couple of moments. But If you came today and said, you know, Alan, I, I don't have a relationship with the Lord, I know that. And he knows that. But I want that relationship. I, I want to have something that's real like that. But we're gonna say a prayer in just a moment. Or maybe you're here and you say, you know what? I used to have that and I got away from God. But on this Palm Sunday, what a great time to make the decision to receive him or make the decision to come back. So we're going to say a prayer. We're not going to have you stand up. We're not going to have you come to the front. But this is an opportunity for you to make that connection with the one who loves you far more than Mary Daniels loved her husband Steve. This is the connection of the one who bought you with a great price, who has so much in store for you, who wants your peace. This is the day of your visitation. Don't miss it. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. No one's looking around. If that's you and you say, Alan, would you would you pray for me? Alan, I want to be involved in this. I don't know the Lord or I want to, or Alan, I need to come back to him. Would you pray for me? Just need you to slip your hand up real quickly across the auditorium. Alan, that's me that you're talking to. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Great. You can put your hands down, we're gonna pray. You can pray this prayer with us out loud say, Dear God, I know mankind needs a savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my savior. It's the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Said are bowed and eyes are closed. Father, thank you for those that prayed that prayer, for those who've come in and for those who've come home. We thank you, Father, that they have stepped out of darkness into your marvelous light, that you have plans for their peace, their well-being and goodness. And Father, for all of us, thank you for revealing to us the dimensions of Jesus, that we can see him in a bigger way, a greater way, that our response to him is increased. Such a wonderful Savior, such a wonderful King. We give you all the praise for that. In Jesus' name, amen.